Wow. Well, I like the cold weather and uh, because you can always make yourself warmer, but you can't always make yourself cooler. So I'm just I'm happy for the cold weather, but I want snow. I'm just like, if it's going to be cold, let it snow. So I'm glad we already had one snow. I'm looking for more. Not as much as Buffalo got. Like, not, not as much as Buffalo got, but warmer stuff. Well, we have been going through the Bible in five years, and as you guys heard earlier, we're in, we're in our final book. We're in the Gospel of John. And for those of you who may be new, first-timers here, we read the Bible together six days a week. We have booklets that have just the Gospel of John in it right now where you can read and follow along with us. We also have bookmarks that go through the reading if you just want to read along in your own Bible. Um, and we're at the halfway mark of going through the Gospel of John. It's pretty cool, right? And there's some interesting things that have happened in the last week as we read John chapter 12 and John chapter 13 together. And I just want to go over that really quick with you guys because what we have here at the end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12, is the table is set, okay? Everything has been put into motion. Jesus has really conclusively revealed who he is in such a way where people are making decisions about him. Either they're for him or they're against him. You don't have so many people sitting kind of on the fence. There are a few, but most of them are really for him or they're against him. And right now, there's a plot by the Pharisees, by the, by the Jewish leaders who are there, that they're ready to arrest him and to kill him. That's what they're trying to do. That's how we have entered in. That was the end of chapter 11. That's where we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 12. And so what we uh, have here is then we have Jesus anointed at Bethany. And Jesus being anointed at Bethany and Judas being rebuked for, you know, saying, hey, we could have given this money to the poor. Um, So we have that along with the chief priests also wanting to murder Lazarus. We kind of mentioned that last week when we came up here together. And then we have the triumphal entry. And um, we have Jesus coming in. We have this procession as if you listen to our YouTube videos just last week, the procession is made mainly of people who have heard the testimony or saw for themselves the raising of Lazarus. That's a detail that's not mentioned in the other Gospels, but it's a really cool detail, just the same. And then we see that continued polarization of the ministry. Either you're for him or against him. And those who are against him are now uh, hating Jesus without cause. You know, that that Isaiah had talked about, you know, that their hearts have been made hard, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, turn with their heart, and God would heal them. And so we see that uh, polarization of Jesus' ministry. And then we see the washing of disciples' feet. Jesus foretells his betrayal, and Jesus reveals Peter's denial. This is what we read this past week. Many familiar passages for us who are believers in Christ, uh, and even those who are not believers in Christ, a lot of this is very familiar. Um, Which leads us to our sermon today, which is a very interesting title. If you look at it, it says, The Beginning of a Very Confusing Time. Because when you read about the triumphal entry and you read about the washing of the feet of the disciples, the thing you don't think about is this, is this really a confusing time? But it really is. Have you guys ever been told you'll understand when you're older? Anybody been told that? My wife told me that last week. So, so have any of you ever used that line on your children, right? 
you understand when you're older. Or if you're a parent, maybe you've withheld information. Have you ever withheld information that was just something they wouldn't understand or they might misconstrue if you talk to them about it that because you know their age, you know their maturity, you know how they would take it. So you're like, uh, not now. No, this isn't for you right now. Or maybe you did share with them something that you knew they wouldn't understand, but you needed to tell them so that later in life they would recognize it, right? Uh, as a youth pastor, I love being around youth, but one of the things I talk about all the time to the youth is about time. It's about time. I talk to the youth, mid-high and high schoolers. And if you are mid-high and high schoolers, I'll say the same thing to you here. You are the most free you will ever be for the rest of your life. Sincerely. Now all the adults shaking their head. Yep, you got that right. But if you ask the youth that, a lot of times the youth don't think that way. Well, you don't know how much homework I have. You don't know how much I've got all of this stuff that I've got going on. I'm just busy, 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 busy. And the reality is, as busy as you think you are now, wait. Just wait. Young adults, a lot of you guys might be in that same freedom situation. Not as free as youth, but freer than you think you are. Wait till you get married. Wait till you have kids. I am telling you, the multiplication of busyness is crazy, right? I have had many former youth call me back and talk to me and say, you know what? I didn't believe you then, but now I've walked through it and you were totally right. I was never more free than when I was when I was 16, 17 years old, had a driver's license, got my first job, didn't have too much going on outside of school. Now my life is crazy, right? We've all, we've all been in places where we've had to kind of look back and, and get, uh, get information from people who've walked this path before us. There's something very interesting about the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. Because there's a curious phrase in the middle of all of these passages that I think is going to change the way maybe we view what we've seen so many times. So if you have your Bibles with you, I need you to turn to chapter 12 of John and verse 16. And just so you know what's going on here, this is during the triumphal entry So this is Jesus walking into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, right? Just as Zechariah prophesied. And yet, what we see in 12 and verse 16, and as a matter of fact, we see this in some other places as well. It says, at first, his disciples did not uh, understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't give you that detail. You read it and you hear, you see the, the proclamation of, of Zechariah, like, oh, that's what they're proclaiming. They're proclaiming this because there's a fulfillment of Scripture. John lets you know, no, they didn't know they were doing that at the time. This was unknown to them. Jesus said, go get a donkey. I'm going to go ride on it. I'm riding my way into Jerusalem. All these people are doing that. They are unaware of the implications of this as it's going on. Think about that for just a moment. 
They know he's the Messiah, but they don't know all of the scriptures that are going to be fulfilled. And they're his disciples. They've been walking with him. They've been seeing all the things that Jesus has done, and they trust him as being the Messiah. They're just not recognizing they're fulfilling scripture as they're doing the things that Jesus is asking them to do. That's a little bit different because, to be honest with you, I don't read the scriptures all the way, all the time like that. See, this is happening in real time to them. It's only after Jesus is raised from the dead that they're putting all of this together. Right? See, John, throughout his gospel, has already spoiled the ending. Right? Throughout, after he was glorified, when was he glorified? Right? If we go back, there's other places in the Gospel of John where he has done the same thing that we have already read. John chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. He has, he's clearing the temple. And this is what he says. And the Jews replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. In other words, they saw this in real time. They heard those words, but they didn't put it together until after Jesus had risen from the dead. Another thing, chapter 2, spoiler, he's raising from the dead. That's interesting to me because they lived this knowing he was the Messiah but not recognizing all the things that he said and the implications of those things that he said and did. Let's take a look at a few other places where they didn't understand certain things. John chapter 4 in verse 27 when he's talking to the woman at the well and he re- and the disciples appear because Samaritans and Jews have nothing to do with one another. Remember? Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They're they're surprised. They're confused. Why is he talking with a woman? Why is he talking not just with a woman but with a Samaritan woman? Because Jews and Samaritans don't have anything to do with one another. He would go on to stay with them for two more days after she had told everybody about Jesus. But they're living this in real life. See, we're looking back, 2020. John is written in such a way where they're looking back. All the Gospels are written in a way that they're looking back. This is not how they lived it out. Don't get me wrong. They're trying to have a more full understanding. It's like you'll understand when you're older. You'll understand when Jesus is raised. When he's raised from the dead, all of these things that didn't make sense during the time of his ministry are going to make a lot more sense. But they don't right now. John chapter 6. Toward the end of the chapter, we read this. Starting in verse uh, verse 60. This is after Jesus talked about his body being real flesh, his, his flesh being real food. And his blood being real drink, right? And we just celebrated communion. We understand it. We're on the other side of this teaching because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Lord's Supper hasn't even been implemented yet in John chapter 6. 
And this is what it says. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. But they didn't understand what he was saying. He would go on in that same passage, says, have I not chosen you twelve and yet one of you is a devil? John chapter 11. Knowing that people were against Jesus and that people had threatened Jesus with death. When Jesus decides to go and raise Lazarus from the dead, there's this little line that oftentimes gets overlooked by the disciple Thomas. And it says this, verse 16, Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. See, if we go, they're, they're going to arrest him. They're going to kill him. Let us go that we may die with him. Ha- have they missed the point of all that Jesus is talking about. They missed so much, and yet they recognized him as a Messiah. This doesn't even mention all the many teachings from the other Gospels, right, that they didn't understand. All the parables that he taught, and they didn't didn't get it. All the teachings and all the arguments that they had, and they didn't get it. Now let's come to the passage of Scripture that we've been in for the last week. Think about all the misunderstandings in this short passage of Scripture. Disciples, first of all, Judas didn't understand why Jesus' anointing with a valuable perfume was more important than giving to the poor. No matter his motivations of trying to take some out for himself. None of the disciples understood why Jesus was asking for a donkey so he could go to Jerusalem to ride upon the donkey. And all the crowds are there saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Nobody. The crowds didn't understand that the Christ is both supposed to die and remain forever because he said, you know, I'm going, I'm going to be gone. And, and they understood it. And they said, no, our understanding is that Christ remains forever. How can he die? If you're lifted up, then that means you're going to die. But if you're lifted up for everybody to see in this this place of death, how can you be the Christ? Because the Christ is supposed to live forever. The Jews, not believing in him, were sure that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, despite all of the miracles that he had done to prove otherwise. 
Peter misinterprets Jesus' washing of the feet. Right? You don't understand what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. Oh, you will never wash my feet. And Peter's just trying to be a servant. He's trying to serve the one who's greater. Oh, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Whoa, 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 that was not my intent. I want all of you. Don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash everything about me. No, no, no. You're still missing the point. (laughs) Then we get to the passage of the revelation of Jesus' betrayer. And Peter's future rejection. Let's read that together real quick. Starting in verse 18. Jesus said, I'm not referring to all of you. I know who I, those who I'm cho- I've chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. But this, uh, he who shares his bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he had meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's the one whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought he was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will not be with you only a, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So when we read this passage, they miss the obvious identification of the one who's going to betray them. But if we look back, as they're working this in real time, they've missed a lot of things. John is here to tell us, we didn't pick up on this at the time. It was only after Jesus was glorified. Even in the middle of this, I am telling you this now, so that when it happens, you will know that I am he. That I am the Christ. I am the one who is promised. Because right now, you don't believe it. 
You believe in me, which is the most important of the things. But all of this other, you haven't got figured out. Is he speaking in a figure of speech? He does that a lot, and we don't catch half of it. He's doing a lot of kind of different things, and we don't know what all the significance of these things are. He just tells us to do it, and we go off and do it. And here we see both Judas being identified and Peter being told, you think you're going to be able to do this. You can't. Not now. You will later, but not now. And all of it, all of it didn't make sense to them at that time. Because that phrase, after he was glorified, that's what we're reading about. John is writing this after Jesus was glorified. Because when they were going through it, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand a lot of this. Everything, everything that's unfolded isn't fully understood until Jesus has raised from the dead. And with the help of Jesus, remember the lesson that he gives to the disciples on the way to Emmaus that we read in Luke's gospel? Starting from the Old Testament and giving them a lesson all the way through. Boy, I would have loved to have been a part of that lesson. But I guarantee you that that lesson is the foundation for them going back and saying, how did we miss all of this? It's right there in the scriptures. Well, Jesus knew they didn't see it. So here's another question. How in the world are they his disciples when they miss so much? Think about that for just a moment. They miss so much of all the things that we just talked about. Tearing down of the temple, the woman at the well, the eating of his flesh, not understanding that at all, thinking that they're going to have to die. All of that they've missed. Not understanding why the crowds are following Jesus, even though they think he's the the Messiah. They don't understand why the donkey. Why not a Toyota Camry? They're living it in real time. But they're convinced. You know why? Why? Remember what it says at the end. That's what we've started from the end. You know, we started at the end for the beginning, right? These things have been written. Because Jesus did many more miracles than than these. But these have been written. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you have life in his name. If you go back to John chapter 2... They had just come from a wedding when he showed his glory to his disciples and they believed in him because of the miracles that had happened right there. The turning of water into wine, this is the Messiah. It was proclaimed that he was the Messiah before, but this is the Messiah. We have seen it. So we don't have to understand everything about it. We're following him, even though we don't understand everything about it. 
We're following him because he's shown himself to be the Messiah by doing things only God can do, even though we don't understand half the things he says. Whereas we look at the contrast, right? The Pharisees, Judas, somewhere along the way, they had determined that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. The Pharisees to the point that they're going to kill him. Judas to the point that he's betraying him, maybe hoping that he'll reveal himself, but he's in for a grave disappointment. Get it? Grave disappointment. That's lost on you. He's, he, does, he hangs himself afterwards because it was a grave disappointment. Anyway, so um, that was just a morbid joke. Sorry. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. They missed it because they weren't looking for the Messiah. They, they had their own preconceived idea of who they thought the Messiah would be. Even the Pharisees in their studies of the scriptures missed all the scriptures that refer and reveal Jesus. All the things that the disciples missed, but they still trusted in Jesus to fulfill them. Think about that for just a moment. The Pharisees who knew the scriptures missed Jesus, though he was fulfilling the scriptures. The disciples who didn't know the scriptures as well followed Jesus who fulfilled the scriptures even though they didn't understand that he was fulfilling them till after he was raised from the dead. Think about that for just a moment. How should that affect you and I? There's a period in my life, I would say it was years, honestly. Ironically, it was while I was going to school for ministry. Where, the, you know, for lack of a better word, the feeling of the presence of God, right, wasn't there. I'd go to Christian concerts, be in Christian conferences, the whole idea of James chapter 4, draw near to God and he shall draw near to you. Nothing. Nothing. Amazing things happen. Everybody else is talking about how they're feeling so close to God and it's just an amazing thing that's happening there and nothing. And all the expectations of what I thought God was supposed to do as a believer in Christ, because now I've probably been a believer in Christ about five years now. And all the expectations of what I thought was supposed to happen as a believer in Christ. I was reading the Bible. I was in fellowship. I was going to school to be a pastor, to be a youth pastor. Nothing. And it was hard. I have no problem telling you how hard it was. I'd go to a Christian concert. I'd be like, okay, I agree with everything that's being said, but God, why, why aren't you here? What happens when the doubts of life hit you concerning the one whom you say you're following? Because think about it. This is the beginning of a very confusing time for the disciples. 
They're not only getting crowds for them, they're getting people after them and against them. And everything we're going to read from here on out, they live in real time. And all the expectations of what they thought the Messiah was is going to be challenged. And it still happens to you and me today as believers in Christ. Questions that we have, queries that we're challenged with online, or with our family members, or with friends at work. Maybe not trying to undermine our faith, or maybe actually trying to undermine our faith. That cause us distress concerning the one whom we've believed in. What do you and I do when we look back at those things that they ask on those questions? Well, if God is all powerful, couldn't he have just stopped people from sinning? And that causes people problems. If he's so real, then why is it that you can no longer feel his presence? That's the thing I was dealing with. Who knows what turmoil awaits the disciples as they walk through this? We read in the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the reflections of people who are out from the other side of it. And it's why Jesus says, you won't understand this now, but you will. So what got me through that time of doubt? What got the disciples through their time of doubt? Well, obviously, number one, first and foremost, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the basis for that whole passage of Scripture. After he was glorified, they understood everything that happened. So it comes back to the resurrection of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. So guess what? Even with me going through those doubts, you know what I had to do? I had to go back and relook at the evidence again. Is there real evidence for me to believe what I believe? And if there is evidence for me to believe what I believe, then my feelings of whether or not God is felt have nothing to do with his true existence. See, I'm sometimes in the room with my wife and I feel nothing. Husbands, you understand what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Same thing. Wives, same thing. Sometimes you're sitting there and it's just kind of meh, right? Come on, let's be honest. Does that mean your husband or your wife doesn't exist? No. Has nothing to do with their existence. And why do we let our feelings dictate whether or not God exists? It has nothing to do with his existence. What matters is if we go back and we look at the evidence of Christ and we look at the evidence of his resurrection, it brings a grounding to the realness of the God who has broken into this world, died on the cross for our sins, risen from the dead, and gives us a basis for going through our doubts Because it's not based in something that's just a feeling. It's based in something real. It's how I could endure that time until such time that feeling returned, right? Feelings come and go. And feelings are not necessarily good or bad, but they are fallen. And that fallen feeling 
that could be prodded on by questions or other things can lead us in the wrong directions. We have to be convinced of whom we believed in and why that's important. So if you got a question about God, my, my first question for you that's troubling you about God, like I don't have this answer for this question, maybe the one that I threw out a little bit earlier, it might stumble you. If God is so powerful and so good, how is it that evil still exists? Couldn't he just have stopped it? At some point, you have to ask yourself, wait a second, that question may not be answered for me right now, but do I believe that Jesus is real, died, rose again, and is who he said? Because if he is, though I may not understand it now, at some point in the future, because of his resurrection it will and so we we buttress our faith in those time of doubts that's what we see the disciples doing what we will continue to see them do but you and I need to recognize the account that we have here we get to see them in their doubts and how they work through it how they hold on to faith, imperfect as they did, until Jesus is risen from the dead. And you and I never have to go through that. You know why? Because we live in a time where Jesus is already raised. This is history. It's already happened. They had to live that history. Had to walk through it. And Judas didn't make it. But it makes sense, some of the things that we read, that because hindsight's twenty twenty makes so much sense now. Why couldn't they see that Judas was the traitor? Why couldn't Peter understand he wasn't going to have the strength to do this? How could they not see that John chapter 6 is a teaching about communion? They hadn't lived all of that yet. They were like the little child that you and I as parents are telling them about something that they're not going to understand right now, but they will in the future. And that future is after Jesus was glorified. And so you and I, in a foundation of faith, when you guys come into those doubts, the thing you have to do first and foremost is go back again and buttress your faith. Everybody has doubts. I have doubts. You're going to have doubts. It's going to happen. Doubts are not bad. But you know what we do? We got run back to the foundation of our faith, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did it happen? Was he real? Is he who he says he is? If he does, all the other stuff I can put on hold, not because they don't have answers, but because they will have answers. I just might not understand it where I'm at right now. Maybe you're walking through a very confusing time. Maybe you've been challenged in your faith. We're living in challenging times. Your foundation of your faith is Jesus. Is he real or is he not? I can't guarantee you you're going to understand the answer to whatever it is, whatever trial you may be going through, whatever question that is happening that's on the forefront of your faith right now that says this makes me question whether or not God is good or he's real. I have to go back to finding out, do I believe the evidence that points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because if I do, then I can suspend everything else until I better understand because my foundation of faith isn't in what I understand and what I don't understand It's in the Jesus that raised from the dead. That's why the disciples were able to withstand that measure of non-understanding. 
They were able to withstand it because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And every single time they went back, it's exactly like what Peter said, to whom else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And through all they didn't understand, that's where they staked their claim. And the good news for you and me is that after Jesus was glorified, all of that, all of it made sense. See, I can't guarantee that you're going to have an answer to your question or your doubt right away. But I can tell you this, if Jesus is real, you'll eventually have that. Whether in this lifetime or not. So put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. Go back to the foundation of your faith to find out, is Jesus real? Did he die on the cross for me? If he did, then I can suspend what I don't know for what I do know, that he is Lord and Savior, and I continue to follow him no matter what. No matter what. If I'm not feeling anything, if I'm having doubts, he will sustain. And he, in the end, will show himself faithful. That's encouraging. They had to walk through that. You and I, we have to walk through that. But that foundation is the resurrection of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Are you doubting the goodness of God? Are you in a place where you're doubting the existence of God? Or the presence of God? The reality is, is he there? Have questions got you thrown? Go back. Seriously, go back again and again and again when those doubts come. Reinforce your belief and say, is there evidence to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Because if there is, you know, where else will we go? Where else will we go? We've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And if we believe that, then we believe that eventually, though we don't have it right now, eventually we will have answers because Jesus has raised from the dead. That's the confidence that can be given to each one of us. And for those who don't know Jesus, where we begin, are those things right there. Did Jesus live? Did Jesus die for our sins? Was he resurrected? Because everything else has its basis in the person of Christ and what he's come for us, to do for us. Do you your heads and let's pray together? God, I don't know where everybody's at in their faith walk right now with you. But I know, dear Heavenly Father, that all of us at times run into doubt and questions, things that happen that we don't understand makes us question your goodness. It makes us question your existence. And God, 
I would pray in the name of Jesus for every single person here, whether believer or not, that they would begin to study and find out who you are. And if you are who you claim to be, and if you are who you claim to be, that it would override everything else, every emotion that we have, every feeling that would say something different, and that we would put our confidence 100% holy in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has risen from the dead and shown himself to be the Messiah that you promised. And may that be enough. Knowing that someday, maybe not this day, maybe not a year from now, but in your timing, there will be an answer to those doubts and those questions because of the confidence that we have in Jesus. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this day. Thank you for this time. Help us in our time of need, in our time of doubt, to run back to you again and again and again and say, where else am I to go? We are convinced that you have the words of eternal life and that you're the Holy One of God. May that be our confession. In Jesus' name.